0: Robert, I got to thinking about my own family while we were singing Great Is Thy Faithfulness. We sung it over and over again. I guess my brothers and I probably sang that song a thousand times in front of people. And one of my brothers is standing up to preach in Cleburne, Texas. Another one is standing up to preach right now in San Sabbath, Texas. My dad's about to stand up to preach in a little church in Turnersville, Texas. God's been faithful. And I'm grateful for a family that nurtured me in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Amen? I'm glad you have your kids in church with you today, moms and dads if you brought them. I sat on the second row. I was number two because we sat in chronological order, seven of us. And uh, that was just the front end of the family, but that's when I remember sitting in chronological order when I was seven. And God is faithful. When I read about the families in the Old Covenant, I think about how difficult it was for them to grasp the character and nature of God given the revelation that they had when we who are on this side of Calvary have so much clearer vision and understanding of the nature of God. When we go to Genesis 31 today and we sit down with Jacob We've been sitting down with the patriarchs. I want you to find Genesis 31 in your Bible. We sat down with Abraham and Isaac, and now we're sitting down with Jacob. I think about how amazing it is that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And Isaac heard the covenant promise and responded to it. And Jacob had this encounter with God and made his vow unto the Lord, which is going to come up in this this chapter. And yet these families have such big problems. Chapter 31 follows on the heels of the recounting of all of Jacob's children that have been born other than Benjamin. So there are 12 births recorded prior to this. Jacob heard, and he has worked for seven years for Rachel, seven years for Leah, another seven years now. So he's been working for his father-in-law Laban for these 21 years. And now Jacob has gotten wealthy these last seven years as he's accumulated flocks and herds. Verse 1 of chapter 31, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. What else do you need? Amen? So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where his flocks were. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude toward me is not what it was before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know I've worked for your father with all my strength that your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said the speckled ones will be your wages and all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said the streaked ones will be your wages then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. In breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats were mating with the flock, were streaked, speckled, and spotted. The angel of the Lord said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. Then Rachel and Leah replied, Do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he's used up what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our Father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you. Trouble with the in-laws. You heard about the husband and wife that were having a feud in the car. Exchanged some pretty harsh words, fell into a tense silence for a few minutes past a herd of mules on the side of the road and the wife said your relatives i presume and the husband said yes in-laws <laughs> yeah Had any trouble with the with the in laws? Check the family attitudes this morning. Laban's family has a problem with attitudes. Right now we learned that Laban is jealous of the prosperity of Jacob. But we already learned in earlier chapters that Leah was jealous of Rachel because she was her husband's favorite. We learned that Jacob, that, that Rachel was jealous of Leah because she had many children. Now we learn that Laban is jealous of Jacob. This family's eaten up with envy, jealousy, and covetousness. They really are. And part of the reason these attitudes have crept into the family and into the children is because Laban is just downright materialistic. He cheats his son-in-law. He changes his wages all for his own benefit. He makes him work seven years for Rachel, then gives him Leah. And when he says, I want Rachel, he says, another seven years. Fourteen years this young man, Jacob, worked for Laban. He cheated him. He was greedy. He defined his life in terms of what what he owned. And this greed and covetousness just crept into the family. Check your attitude about the family this morning. Make sure, Dad, that you have an attitude that is typified by love, kindness, grace, mercy, Truthfulness, that these are qualities that you exemplify in your marriage and in your family. Do not succumb to the attitude that Laban had, which poisoned his family. Jacob was a schemer himself. His name means supplanter or crooked. And he has demonstrated that in his life as well. So one schemer up against another, and Jacob is winning the battle. Jacob notices that the attitude of his father-in-law has changed toward him. And this suggests to him that maybe another change is in the offing. Maybe it is time to return to to the land of promise. He's been here on the other side of the Euphrates River now for this score of years, and he's thinking it is probably time, given this change of attitude, his brothers-in-law are mad at him too, it's probably time to go back. Pay attention to attitudes in the family. They indicate things that are going on on the inside of humans, and they change the dynamics in the family. Very important how we feel about one another and what we communicate even non-verbally in our relationships with each other. One of the things that I really like about Jacob and what we find over and over again in Genesis is this second point. Always Jacob gives God credit for every good thing. Now, Jacob's not perfect. We found out a lot of things about him. Then when we look up, we say, Lord, don't let me do that. But Jacob does give God credit for every good thing. Not only he, but his father before him and his grandfather before him were of this same mold and this same mindset. These men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with whom we've been sitting and learning, they do not credit themselves with their wealth. They do not think, what a great thing I have done. They remain men who understand that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. It comes from Him. The Scripture says, every good thing comes from God. When a good thing happens in your life, It is wise for you to say, thank you, God. And to credit God with the giving of this good thing. God is fundamentally good, the Scripture says. It is the goodness of God that leads us to a change of attitude and heart. The Scripture says the goodness of God leads us to repentance. I've told you about Dr. Markle, my good friend a few years ago, who said, David, it changed my life when I learned that God is good. It will change your life too if you will accept this truth that God is good. The goodness of God is actually a more, a more fundamental comfort to the human heart than even his existence. For if he exists but we do not know his character, he could be a mean or vengeful God like some of the Greeks and Romans thought of their gods but we know God to be a God who is good. Not only does he exist as creator and Lord over heaven and earth, he is fundamentally good. So when a good thing happens in your life, acknowledge the God who gives it. Jesus taught us to ask for our daily bread. And when you get that daily bread, which is a good thing, to give thanks so that every Blessing of your life is bracketed by the request and the thanksgiving. If you will lace the goodness of God into all of your life from beginning to end, from sunup to sundown, if you will confess that God is good in all the moments and seconds of your life as you receive things from Him perpetually, the butterfly that crosses your path, the sparrow that lands on your window. Thank you, Adrian, for the picture of the bird that he posted in Facebook, a beautiful picture. If you will give God thanks for the color and life around you, your life will be filled with thanksgiving. Jacob says, God did this. God prospered me. This was a gift from God. You say, well, preacher, what about the bad things? If God is the giver of every good gift, what about the bad things that come into my life? I'm going to confess up front. Sometimes painful things come into my life and I say, God, you have my attention. Sometimes I feel about those difficult and painful things that God has sent them to my life to help me turn toward him. And the Scripture teaches that there are some things that we would call bad or difficult, a thorn in the flesh, an affliction, that come from God so that He may display His grace in our lives. But I have a hard time attributing bad things to a good God when Job comes under questioning by his tormentors that were called comforters. He says, shall I receive good from the Lord and not bad and not evil? The Lord gives and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Scripture says, in all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he attribute God with wickedness. There's some things you can mark down about the character of God. God does not sin. He does not tempt you to sin nor make you sin. The Scripture says He is not the author of sin. I have a hard time attributing bad things to God sometimes because bad things happen, but I don't know whether... This comes from the hand of God, or this is where I've messed up, and this is really my wild oats bearing their harvest. And I have seen people that caught in difficult circumstances. talked to a man in jail one, one time who had killed a guy with his vehicle because he was drunk. It was the fourth time he'd been arrested for DUI. I went in there, and he started to cry and say, Why do little children die? How can you believe in God when little children die? And I am sitting there thinking, and you just killed somebody with a vehicle. Where's your responsibility for the mess that's happened? Sometimes it's hard to sort out the human and divine elements in bad things that come along. So I am slow to say, well, this is from the hand of God. Sometimes I say, I don't know. If I get in a situation where I'm receiving every good thing from God and the bad things I am looking at and saying, Lord, I'm not sure if this is coming from your hand or not, this one thing I do, every circumstance in life, I seek to respond in faith, trusting God however it's come. We want to know where it came from, but God wants to know, how am I going to respond? Maybe you're dealing with something right now. And when you get in the prayer closet, you're saying, Lord, why have you allowed this thing to come into my life? And may it be it's become for you a real test of faith. I hope that you will do the godly and right thing, the thing the Bible calls you to do, the thing Jesus demonstrates and models and that is to continue to walk with God, respond in faith in your trouble, trust the Lord through the difficulty, be like David the psalmist who said, even though I walk, where? Through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why? Thou art with me. That's where you want to be. You want to be with the sweet psalmist of Israel, David. You want to be with Jesus even in the painful moment of his life saying, Lord, not my will but thine be done. You want to trust him in the trouble even though you do not know where it comes from. Sometimes you know in your heart where it comes from. Even then, you just trust Him. Sometimes we know that we have been visited back upon by poor judgment, poor choices. And we have to deal with that. How do you deal with that? Forgiving yourself. Receiving the forgiveness of God and forgiving yourself. I've had so many people tell me, you know, it's easy to forgive somebody else. Much harder to forgive yourself when you're the one who's messed up. I know. I've been there. Coming clean with God, receiving his forgiveness, part of the beauty of the cross of Christ where he paid for all your sin is that you can walk away free and clear from the place of confession. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we don't have to walk under self-condemnation, which is often what we do concerning those bad things that we know brought on ourselves, We receive the forgiveness of God and walk in freedom. Credit God with every good thing in your life. Respond in all the bad situations and difficulties in faith trusting him no matter what's happened, hanging on to God, even in the valley of the shadow of death. The scripture calls you to that kind of faith, a life that trusts him, regardless of circumstances. There's a curious, curious turn in this passage that I want to point out to you. It's about Rachel and Leah's attitude toward their Dad and it comes at the end of the Scripture that I read, where it talks about how Rachel and Leah hear the dream of Jacob where God visits them, and he says it's time to return back to the land of promise, to my home. And Rachel and Leah said, you do what you need to. Our dad is treating us like strangers or foreigners. Not only did he sell us, to you, but he's lost all the gain from the sale. They said, it's appropriate that we receive what was his, and our children receive it. And I think about Laban, whose attitude toward his daughters so poisoned their relationship that they feel like he just treated them like a commodity and sold them. And when I I would say this to you, treat your children with love and respect, including your adult children. You say, what do you do with a father who sells you like Jacob did Rachel and Leah, who deceived Jacob but also sold his daughters to him? What do you do with a dad like that? You seek to maintain peace and harmony and do the best you can to have a relationship. I know sometimes the relationship breaks and you lose it, and we have many such relationships in this room where we haven't spoken to people in many years. That relationship is gone, it seems. But as I read the Scripture, I believe that those family connections are important in the Bible and that forgiveness begins in the family. And if we hold an unforgiving spirit toward an injury from a family member, even of years past, it still prevents us from being all that we ought to be spiritually. It still affects us. It can produce a, bitter, a bitterness in our heart or a resentment. Rachel and Leah have been mistreated by their dad. Their dad is about to reap the results of that as they say, let's just go. He's treated us like foreigners all this time. Sometimes I have parents who ask me, what about this child who has wandered so far away and done so many things? And sometimes you must exercise tough love, what some of the writers call tough love. I know that. But I still think, that in the end, we are to love one another as God has loved us. And seeking to restore and reconcile even with those relationships broken years ago may bring a peace to your heart and a calmness of soul and even a spiritual change to the one who has offended you. So don't give up on the power of forgiveness in the life even of the one who offended you. Another thing that I see in this text is that God hears our promises. Now, this one Eric doesn't have on the PowerPoint, all right? But I wanted to bring it up as I thought about it this morning again. God comes to Jacob in this dream. And he says, I am what? The God of Bethel. What happened at Bethel? This young man on the run is encountered by God in a strange way as he lays down to sleep with a rock for a pillow. And he sees the ladder to heaven, and he names the place Bethel. This is the house of God and the gate of heaven, Jacob said. God comes to him in this dream and says, I am the God of Bethel. It has been many years since Jacob was at Bethel. Maybe 20 or more. And yet this experience as a young man with a God who encountered him at Bethel so shaped his life and changed his life that when God comes to him in the dream, he introduces himself as, I am the God of Bethel. And then God says these things, two things to Jacob. You anointed a pillar at Bethel. When we were praying this morning, one of the ministers used the word anoint. I think he was praying for me. Anoint him with the Holy Spirit, which is Bible language. The idea of anointing is all the way through the Old Covenant as well as the New. And fundamentally, primarily, it was the idea of pouring oil on the king. It was an anointing, a designation for a role and purpose within the counsel and providence of God. Well, Jacob, when he worshipped at Bethel, when he woke up and discovered that God was in this place and I didn't know it, he worshipped and he poured oil on that stone where he had put his head. And he called that place the house of God. God was watching. I want you to think about that place you were maybe as a young man or a young woman, where God so encountered you and you were startled by His presence and you worshipped Him in that spot. Maybe you said a prayer. Maybe it was a difficult time like Jacob. You were all out of the house for the first time. You were out on your own and you were afraid of what was coming. Maybe you were running from somebody like Jacob was. It was a time of crisis and God spoke to you and you marked that place. You remember it to this day. you Do you have a... Do you have a An experience like that from your teenage years or your young adult years, I can tell you, I do. I go back to a place where I worship the Lord as a young man with a great sense of God's presence and forgiveness in my life. And to this day, I remember where I was standing when the forgiveness of God just washed over me. God says, I'm the God of Bethel where you anointed that stone and where you made a vow to me. We want to excuse ourselves from the vows we make to God because we often do it in times of difficulty and trouble. A hardship comes along like Jacob is running from God or, or from his brother and God intervenes on it, to him. And Jacob might have said, oh, listen, uh, th- that was just, I was just talking. That was a crisis, you know, I was scared. God, sorry I said all those things. We bargain with God when we get in trouble. And we noted that when Jacob got in trouble and he was running from his brother, he had this moment of worship, and he said to the Lord, God, if you'll watch over me, if you'll give me food and give me clothes, you remember? Remember? and you'll bring me safely back to this place, then you will be my God. He made this vow to the Lord in his moment of hardship and trouble. And God remembered it, and 20 years later brought it back up to him. 20 years later, God says, you remember when you made that vow to me? Is there anybody in this room who made a promise to God in the middle of a crisis in your life where you cried out to God and said, Lord, if you'll get me through this, I will serve you and you will be my... Is there anybody in this room who ever did that? God remembers your vow. You think God forgets, but he doesn't. He remembers your vow... He he remembers the place and the moment you spoke it. Have you kept your promise to God? We're too sloppy in our relationship with the Creator, we're too nonchalant. We make our prayers and we don't take them seriously. Think about Jacob, this young man, making his promise to God in this wide spot in the road in the middle of the night where he is running and he is frightened. And God, 20 years later, saying, I heard. I heard your words. I remember that promise, that vow that you made. Brothers and sisters, part of much of the spiritual sickness that comes upon us is our unfaithfulness to the covenant we've made with God. We are afflicted spiritually often not because of circumstances and conditions beyond our control, but because we said we'd do things and we never followed through. We made a promise and we did not keep it. We haven't honored the things we said to God. I have sometimes folks who are struggling to know whether they should do this or that. And one of my first questions to them is this. Are you doing the things you know to do? There's no question you ought to be a person of prayer. Pray without ceasing. Do you pray? Scripture says, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Is this book part of your daily life? Doing the things we know to do that we're for sure God wants us to do is the first step toward understanding the things that we don't know. God hears the promise. He calls us to faithfulness. He intercedes in our life, reminds us of our words, and also reminds us, I am with you. You say, I don't know how I'll ever keep those promises I made to God. Well, if you will turn your face toward God, God will empower you to do what right now you feel you cannot do. The power of the Holy Spirit in your life will help you be the covenant person you will never be in your own energy. The first movement of the spiritual walk is to turn your face toward the Lord Jesus and say, I am yours, lock, stock, and barrel. You are my Lord, and there is no other. You laid your life down for me, and my life is yours. The Christian walk is really an exchange. The life of Christ laid down for you, your life laid down for him. And when that exchange occurs, the Holy Spirit fills us so that we are empowered to do the walk we cannot do without him. Somebody in this room is at the end of your rope, you just don't know how you're going to go on. You're wondering about Monday morning when you show up at work and whether you can really do it. In your own energy, maybe not. But in the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I challenge you, know this God who loves you who cares for you, who wants to be with you, who sent His Son to die on the cross for your sin. Connect to this good God who sends every perfect gift your way. Trust Him in the moment of your trouble and know that He is your way through. Let's bow together. Maybe you're dealing with a family crisis. Maybe not the in-laws, maybe children, grandchildren, maybe a husband or wife, parents that are aging. Would you lift up that family crisis to the Lord? God, help us. In our families, we need you. Just like Jacob and Rachel and Leah, we need you to be with us. God, we pray that you would intercede in families. God, help us with our attitudes. We want to leave this place with an attitude that pleases you toward wife and husband and children and parents. Make adjustments inside of us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for those who made promises long ago and you are reminding them today of promises made that may be not kept. God, by your Holy Spirit, draw us to yourself. Help us to acknowledge the words we have spoken. Intercede in our behalf. I pray for that brother or sister who came in just laden with guilt that, Lord, you would help them find the place of confession, repentance, and forgiveness. And in this worship service, that they could let that burden fall off their shoulders. God we come to you in the place of prayer and we need you desperately so do your work in us and call us to yourself help us know the response that you want us to make and help us to do it in Jesus name